Hello, hello, and welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHDTV. I'm so glad you're with me here yet again. We've got this fabulous revolution going on globally, and I want everybody to take heart. We are going to do this, and we're going to end up with a planet healthier, happier, freer than ever before, now that everybody's waking up and, and, and figuring out what it is they they need to do. That's what the two hours today, we're going to be inspired these next two hours with our, our guests. Um, but first, let's bring on Javier. We've got the co-host. Uh, hey, Dr. how's it X. going? Hey, I've missed you. How are you doing? It's been a while. <laughs> doing great. Good, good. Have you, have you got snow your way? Yeah, we've been having snow on and off uh, in Seattle, where I was uh, during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also snow, quite a bit of it, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's something. We've got cold weather. It's been like in the 20s at night and and when you wake up, but um, no snow here in Tennessee yet. So I I do love weather. I love four seasons. Um, I like change. People do like change. I couldn't live in a state where it was forever the same weather. Um, And, you know, Javier, speaking of change, life is change. People, it's like we get bored if we don't have change. Right. But when faced with change, often we get uncomfortable and we don't want to. It's scary. Change can be scary, even good change. People will often, if you offer them a problem with no solution, they will often just stick with the problem because it's at least familiar. Exactly. If you offer them a solution, they might still stick with the problem, even as they consider that solution, because again, the problem is familiar. The way of doing things is old. It might not work, but it's what I know. It's what I'm comfortable with. Um, I guess in a way it makes stable societies if if it doesn't get out of hand because right. we like things, we, we like patterns that help us work. But when it comes to things like what we're going through now in society where people are learning, being faced in so many areas with having to make changes and push themselves out of their comfort zone to do it, yeah, you've done that. I've done yes. that. Yeah, you've you've made a lot of big changes in your life. Oh yes. Faced with what's going on and and how you want to live by your own belief system and what's important to you and what you've learned. Well, our first guest, her name is Sarah Boyd, and years ago, even before all this COVID, she had an experience with a vaccine that was not good, and it was in the military. Um, and I don't really know a lot of details of her story, um, but I'm going to bring her on and I'm going to guide her through, hopefully she's still here with us, guide her through the process. Um, Sarah is sometimes experiencing, and she's got dark glasses on now. So that tells me, hi, Sarah, are you, um, are you in the midst of having some issues where the light is bothering you at this stage? I see the dark glasses. That's a daily occurrence since 2012 as a result of the progression of my vaccine injury. I was diagnosed with keratitis, which is a medical condition where the uh, cornea of the eye becomes inflamed 
eventually it will cause me to have blindness. Um, but at this point, uh, I wear tinted glasses and okay. have a lot of you know, um, symptoms okay. as a result. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, when um, I was, I was so appreciative of some of the groups that I'm now um, in contact with when they said, "Hey, Sarah, will come on and and speak," because not a lot of people injured are able to step up. It takes a lot of courage, yeah. um, and you know, even without an, an injury, just talking on the radio is a little bit nerve wracking. You know, so I appreciate your coming here. And, you know, when I chose the two guests, it hadn't dawned on me that the website that you started, OperationTruth.net, and the website that our next guest after you, Victoria Palmer, has is Seattle Truth Network, that the word truth was in both of, of your websites that you founded. And both of you have been on different missions to expose the truth and, and have gone on your own journeys. A lot of people, um, somebody's got a cat meowing. Is that you, Javier? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, during COVID, a lot of people began to understand some of the things those of us in the medical freedom movement have known about for a long time. Um, the dangers of, of, of vaccine products, effects that they weren't properly tested, um, you know, the problems with licensing, the problems with emergency use authorization, so many problems as we know. And then the military has a unique set of problems and especially when it comes to being um, somebody like you who was in the military and you, you pretty much don't have a say in the matter. You just, you do what you were told because you're a soldier, right? If I'm understanding the basics of your situation correctly, interrupt me if, uh oh, we lost her. Um, she's trying to reconnect, so she will. <clears throat> Um, hopefully we'll get her right back. Absolutely. Um, so, and I do have her website, which I can go ahead and, and I'm going to pull up and we can look at that a little bit while we're, we're waiting for her to come back on. Sometimes connections can be an issue. We're going to go to Operation Truth. Um, there we go. So here it is, Operation Truth. And this is Gulf War Illness. Uh, suffering unite um, vaccine injury is real. So do you recall Javier during the Gulf war hearing a lot about Gulf war illness? Absolutely. That was a, a that was a, a big story and it's still ongoing. Yes. Yes. A lot of the individuals are still um, having problems. So do let me know if you see Sarah appear because I'm on another page looking at that page. So if you see her come in, let me know. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit about from the About Us page. Operation Truth is a 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit organization produced to gain the much-needed veterans' benefits and research for those suffering from chronic multi-symptom illness. The VA states that chronic multi-system illness is a prominent condition affecting Gulf War veterans, a cluster of medically unexplained chronic symptoms that can include fatigue, <clears throat> headaches, joint pain, indigestion, insomnia, dizziness, respiratory disorders, and memory problems. The VA believes the, and this is quote, vaccinations, pyrodostigamine bromide, PB for short, 
oil well fires, pesticides, chemical and biological weapons, sand, dust, and particles, depleted uranium, toxic embedded fragments, noise, infectious disease, CRC paint, heat injuries, and occupational hazards are all possible causes for these conditions. Um, that's a lot of causes. Um, so uh, the VA is researching many environmental concerns for the cause of chronic multi-symptom illness, <clears throat> except vaccinations. Well, of course they're not. They never do, do they? Nope. Operation Truth plans to change that by gaining the funding needed to conduct the necessary research in determining the genetic biomarkers of those more susceptible to vaccine injury. Operation Truth was not only started by a veteran, but is operated, managed, and supported by veterans and their family members. Through donations given to this organization, we can help spread awareness of Gulf War era illnesses, injuries, and raise the necessary funding to gain the benefits we deserve. So again, that's operationtruth.net. I'm going to stop sharing that. Um, Absolutely. This is very this is very similar to what uh, happened with Agent Orange uh, in, in the Vietnam War, where you had so many of these uh, service members that were uh, sprayed with the with Agent Orange and then decades later developed uh, cancers and uh, mm -hmm. other conditions. But I remember that there was early on a very uh, um, heated argument regarding the vaccinations associated with the uh, um uh, what was it? The anthrax. Anthrax. Yes. And that's, that is the one that I believe if I'm not understanding uh, Sarah's story correctly yeah. is what she was given. Um, the thing is there are soldiers who never went, who never left the country. Right. It, it's my understanding that there were, um, there were soldiers who remained here in the U S who still developed Gulf war syndrome. So yes. what were they exposed to? Well, they, the vaccine is what they had in common. Not to say that all these other things didn't drastically undermine health as well. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm looking. I do not have a phone number here for uh, our guest. So I, I'm hoping that she will manage to get um, get reconnected. I do hope she can. I you know, when you bring up um, Agent Orange, there, oh, I wish I could remember the the name of the woman, I can see her face. And she just recently retired. She was a soft-spoken, very sweet-voiced woman who worked for the CDC and various HHS entities over the years. And in the early days of Agent Orange, she would be called in to testify before Congress. And she would very sweetly say, no, there's no evidence that Agent Orange is causing any of the issues that we're hearing about. No, we do not believe that that is the case. I mean, she was defending Agent Orange. Oh, this Lord. is the same woman who then years later, there, uh, there's a famous, I think it was Rep Posey, Representative Posey, who asked her, uh, ma'am, uh, has the CDC ever done a fully vaxxed versus unvaxxed study. And she tried to get around and around and around the, um, the question. And finally he said, ma'am, point blank, have you ever done a vaxxed unvaxxed study? And she said, no. And he says, thank you very much. You've wasted enough of my time. 
Good. Um, right. And she she would just defend. And I just personally, you know, as a woman, as a mom, I, I'm extra offended by these sweet voice maternal women who just flat out lie and hide injury of things that our government is doing. I just find it so appalling. So um, it looks like we now have Sarah on the phone. She was able to connect uh, via phone. Sarah, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, it's so good to have you back. I'm so glad you were able to come back. Um, so while you technical difficulties. Oh, it happens. No worries at all. I'm just glad we got your voice back here. Exactly. Um, so while you were gone, um, I read the About Us page on Operation Truthnet to tell people a little bit about the organization here. So if I would, uh, what I would like to do, um, Sarah, is is kind of start at the beginning. Start with yourself um, um, entering the military and then take it from there and, and the experience um, that happened to you. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to share my story and to bring awareness to our patient demographic. Our vaccine injured patient demographic is one that is, um, is not something that our medical community or our U.S. government is willing to have that conversation. So I'm glad that we're able to come on this live feed and have this conversation so that we can bring this awareness in this uh, format. Uh, so my story begins in a small country logging town of Cedar Woolley, Washington, up mm-hmm. there in Washington State. I'm currently living in Michigan. I, uh, I've got there by way of of joining the military when I was 17 years old. I um, didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Uh, I didn't have the (laughs) grades to get a scholarship, so I saw that the Army was having a $40,000 college fund uh, back in 1998 if I joined for four years. So I said, hey, why not? Let's travel the world and see what there is to see. So back in 98, we were uh, during peacetime, but there was still... um, uh, unsettling biodefense uh, weapon out there that we were gearing up to defend upon. And I had no clue that that was going on at the age of 17, that, you know, the world, what was going on in the world at the time. So right. I joined and they had the anthrax vaccination immunization program during the time which uh, made 100% of all service members get the anthrax vaccine from 97 to about early 2000s when the 106th Congress stepped in and said, why are we court-martialing so many of our uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines? And so before we get into that story, I joined the Army for four years. I got my $40,000 college fund. And I, I took the test as I did any other test as a dyslexic uh, frontal lobe patient. And I became a fuel system supply specialist. And so what they do is they base on this test what they feel your education level and experience skill set will be. And then you get to choose from three different jobs. And so I decided to be a fuel system supply specialist. And... When I uh, joined, I met my first husband, and we started a family at the age of 19. And I was still going through this process of getting the anthrax vaccine immunization um, uh, program. And so 
uh, while I was pregnant, um, there's uh, evidence to proclaim that where I was stationed, that our soldiers were given the anthrax vaccine while being pregnant. Um, I haven't found my name on that documentation, but going forward, there is a pattern of behavior to to claim that there was, you know, something along those lines had occurred. Um, I was in the Army for 10 years. During that duration, I became very ill and injured as a result of the vaccine injury, and we had no, um, we had no understanding of it at that time, so I continued to get the vaccine during my 10 years on active duty. As a result, I became so ill and injured, they medically boarded me out um, wow. after 10 years, and Sarah? I suffered through a very challenging military career and be, was able to still become a counterintelligence special agent. So I caught terrorists for a living. That wow. was my job. Um, so thank you for catching terrorists. Uh, Sarah, I, I have a question. So what you're saying is when you were pregnant, you may have been given the anthrax vaccine. You're not sure. Um, but you, you knowingly were giving it throughout your service when you were pregnant. Correct. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Okay. And then um, you made an interesting point that a lot of people were being court-martialed. Is that because they were refusing the anthrax vaccine? Yes, ma'am. So let's jump to that portion of the story. Okay. Um, during the first few years of my military service, they were giving us the anthrax vaccine through this 100% program because of the level of risk or level of security potential of this um, anthrax biodefense weapon being used on uh, not only our military, but our civilian sector as well. And so they gave us this vaccine in preparation for this potential weapon being used. And our um, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marine were all stepping up and saying, why are we giving this vaccine? Yeah. It's a questionable, questionable vaccine. It's given through emergency services, so it hadn't been um, put through the same um, uh, research and uh, what the words I'm looking for aren't coming Yeah, to. yeah, it but, was you know, it was also emergency use authorization, uh, just like the COVID shots? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, it wasn't prior um, tested on humans. We were the human trials. And so, therefore, they were supposed to be given us, per FDA guidelines, um, informed consent, and all of these other things. Uh, you were not supposed to be given it to as a hundred percent in that way without informed consent. And exactly. um, there's just a lot of parameters that the Department <clears throat> of Defense were not doing per the FDA guidelines of this emergency um, situation. A vaccination process, and so the 106th Congress stepped in, said, "Why are we, you know why are we court-martialing so many soldiers? Why are these individuals not wanting to get this vaccine?" And um, they, after the investigation, they determined that the manufacturer of the anthrax vaccine had unsafe practices, and then somehow um, the Tulane University had discovered that there was squalene within the um, 
inoculation substance. And the squalene adjuvant was not supposed to be placed in the anthrax vaccine because it was not authorized to be used in uh, the United States. Wow. That... I'm just sort of blown away with that, especially since I know that squalene is now the adjuvant used in the adult, the flu vaccine they give to um, older adults to like the elderly. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a lot of, a lot of issues with it. Okay. So this is, I guess, good news is that the Congress stepped up to the plate and did what Congress should do. And, um, sort of, I mean, it's, it's appalling that the military required the Congress to step in and tell them, honor the law, honor informed, uh, um, informed consent, honor emergency use authorization regulations that requires informed consent. And Sarah, I'm just, I'm, what I'm really hoping is that, see, it's like your experience and, and, I'm going to um, pick you up where you left off, but um, but I just want to say that you're experienced all these years ago, if lessons had been learned and heeded uh, within the military, I mean, once the military was brought to task by the by Congress, they should have changed their ways that have should have systematically put through communications that said, hey, when we give emergency use shots, we have to respect the actual law and regulations because along comes COVID. They didn't learn their lesson, right? No. I suppose because no heads rolled. Did any heads roll? Did anybody get into trouble over this? Accountability certainly was not had, but it was what they did after the investigation of the 106th Congress was they stopped giving it to 100% of all service members and... Um, they did their own research into Tulane University's findings and then, of course, changed a lot of those findings to proclaim that this praline adjuvant was placed there um, unwillingly. It was by accident. The amount of squalene in the soldier systems couldn't be the factor that is causing these issues and did a lot of deny and deny that vaccine injuries did not occur and that these patients are not injured as a result of this minute squalene adjuvant right. or squalene found in these lots. And so, Unbelievable. Therefore, um, going to fast forward to, to here, where we are now is that the VA is finally admitting that vaccines do injure, that the anthrax and other vaccination processes that the military service members are given are a potential risk factor of causing chronic multi-symptom illness. And if they have now um, went from calling go for illness, or originally it was go for syndrome from the first 1990 era, then it was changed to go for illness, then it was changed to chronic multi-symptom illness, and then now it's change to military toxin exposure, but instead of giving it any fancy names, they're keeping it the same chronic illness names that are in the medical community. So, for example, for my instance, I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, if I'm saying that correctly, 
caused by my vaccine injury. And so instead of it being input in the system as vaccine injury or cold war illness, it'll now be placed in the system as Julian Bear syndrome. And that way, coding will be the same as our civilian sectors, and it'll be a lot more transferable for education and um, treatment protocols and diagnostic protocols and things of that nature. So, so you are glad that the, the official record then names the symptom because that helps you get help in the medical, you know, through the medical system. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, just like in the civilian sector and the, the VA, in order for you to get it covered for our free health care, it has to be service connected or military right. service connected. And so you pretty much have to prove that your illness or injury was caused by your military service. And in order to do that, you have to have uh, these certain prerequisites, and those are the military coding or diagnostic protocol that um, gets covered under those processes. Okay. And in order to find out that those prerequisites, you have to have that uh, medical research. And so the VA has done a lot of research since the early 90s when they discovered all these um, soldiers coming back from the first Gulf War with all these rare illnesses and injuries, and that um, they've been uh, discovering all these different things through research for decades now, but what they haven't put any money into is the vaccination portion. But mm-hmm. we finally got them to admit that, yes, these vaccines are causing these issues, and uh, um, yes, we will work with your charity. Um, and so they have now allowed us to give um, our uh, educational materials that we have produced so that the VA can then distribute them throughout the nation um, is our goal. Because right now they're not providing any information that vaccines cause injury and what that looks like in our our vaccine-injured patients. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations that in the worst circumstance with all the health issues you have, you what you have accomplished, it, this is this is huge what you have done. Um, and, and I'm very proud to know you. So good job. <laughs> um, Thank you. There's so and, much you know, more to do. Yeah, well, you know, it's never ending, isn't yeah. it? Um, but and that's kind of the theme of it shows <clears throat> that the power of uniting with others who understand what your what the problem is, you know, the truth of it, and then um, standing together and staying vocal and really staying persistent, not giving up. That is the big thing. You know, we're the, the individuals who, once you get a hold of truth, if you don't give up trying to get that truth out there, eventually it will. It's tragic that it takes so, so dang long. Um, but this is, you know, eventually we'll reform the system so that it's not going to take so long. It's absurd that it takes this long. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of our youngest, brightest, most wonderful people are the ones who sign up to join the military to defend this nation. And how do we thank them? (laughs) That's, uh, yeah. 
Unfortunately, the only way that we can get anything changed to the VA for our veterans' health is through U.S. Congress. And unfortunately, the only ones fighting for us are our veterans that are injured and ill. We just had a huge PACT Act signed through Congress that will help a lot of our patients that have been injured through military toxins. And the burn pits is a huge part of that, along with right. the Camp Lejeune, water contamination, and many other factors that are uh, military toxins that have caused a lot of damage in our veteran patients. And mm-hmm. so what we have done through Operation Truth is we've located um, a medical researcher out of California that has worked with the VA in the past. And they've asked to remain anonymous for obvious reasons, but they've been willing to work with us. We just need to find the hundreds of thousands of dollars that will take for this initial research, but we can determine who is more susceptible to vaccine injury through genetic research. They have done so in the past with uh, malaria pills. We have we know who's more susceptible to injury through that treatment method. Right. And so those fellow service members don't receive that treatment method and, and instead get a different treatment method in the event that they are um, subjected to malaria in the area that they are operating. So we can do the same for anthrax and these other different um, antigens in that if we determine who's more susceptible to these adjuvant-induced vaccines, we can prevent a lot of further injury. On top of that, medical research determining who's our, our vaccine-injured patients look like, how it presents in the body so that we can put together a, a, a treatment protocol and diagnostic protocol for these patients so that we can be understanding of what it looks like and presents in the body and, and um, uh, prevent them from getting further damage so that there you go. we can determine that it is vaccine-related. Because that's, that's definitely what happened in my case. And mm-hmm. what I am so upset about is that our government could have found out this information decades ago, and they refused. And so mm-hmm. we are going after U.S. Congress to do what they should have done a long time ago in determining who is more susceptible to vaccine injury and finding out how that presents in the body so we can prevent it in the future. Um, yeah, that is a great idea. Um, and I applaud you for that. The, the other thing, well, there's several things that Congress does need to look at, uh, not only individual susceptibility um, to, um, to injury from exposure to the various products that they you know, give the soldiers, but also there has to be we have to remove the corrupt influence of the pharmaceutical industry because they're bringing forward ineffective and dangerous shots, dangerous yeah. products. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if we truly had an honest system with um, with honest science that's not biased, it's not skewed for profit, but really looking at risk benefit and really good studies done, um, some some of these products would never have been ever given to the soldiers and they would have found another way. What else you got? Maybe come up with uh, post-exposure 
um, treatments for the things that they're very concerned about um, until a safe vaccine product could be developed. But what's going on is um, you not only have individual susceptibility, but you've got products that are just badly designed. Um, And they know they're badly designed going into it. So have have you... um, I know you're in groups now with individuals that have been injured by the COVID shot and um, there's military individuals in there as well. Are you uniting um, on this common cause? Uh, Yes. Um, Yes and no. We have a long ways to go with um, not convincing, but bringing awareness to our veteran community uh, that they understand that vaccines do cause injury and that we're not trying to take away anything that they've discovered of the environmental toxic exposures, that we understand that in the, our environment can cause just as much toxicity in our bodies as what mm. we put in it yes. and on it. And yes. so um, there's a big disconnect in our veteran community right now, yeah. not only the way that it's divided for funding, but because of the misinformation that was placed out across the world regarding the vaccines. And so mm-hmm. um, it was a, a huge turning point now that the VA wants to work with us and that they're willing to place our educational materials through their distribution because that will give us a lot more um, uh, backing with our mission and what we're trying to uh, bring awareness to. People will look at us as being a viable witness to this information now that the VA is um, backing our information as well. That's good. That's very good. And, you know, I, I do understand sort of that wall that people put up, especially when, you know, when you join the military and especially if you, you know, go to battle, there are multiple toxins that they're being exposed to that are undermining their health. And um, and a lot of times people will um they know that there's one in particular that injured them the most and they see a lot of evidence for, and that sometimes they do get concerned that, you know, um, that, that the way things are being put forward means that no, 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 it wasn't your cause. It was my cause, but it's all the causes. It's all the causes. Right? Yeah. They, they all undermined health. And for every soldier, there will probably be a different combinations of toxins that ultimately led to their um, ill health. And it might be sometimes some, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe they could have handled the anthrax vaccine and, and maybe something bad in the water, but they were exposed to toxic burn and that tipped their immune system over the top and then they're gone. Right. Um, We can only handle so much and detoxify so much. And I go ahead. I was just going to say that, and that's why it's so important, and I believe that's why the War-Related Injury and Illness Studies Center out of Palo Alto is now taking information from those of us like myself that didn't deploy because we don't have that environmental factor of Iraq and Mm -hmm. Afghanistan. 
we have yes. those other factors of vaccination. So we are that pinpoint definitive difference of how yes. it presents in the body of environmental toxins versus vaccine injury. And it's critical mm. information and data for them to to um, to gather so that they can make that um, uh, parallel and determine which, you know, is caused by what entity. Wow. Yeah. Do you know, do you have any idea of the numbers um, of soldiers that um, are injured by the vaccine like you, that they know that it was that because they did not deploy and they weren't exposed to anything else? Unfortunately, we may never have those numbers just because of the way that the data either was collected or was not collected. We are, uh, we put together a committee um, called uh, the Project Badger um, because that is the actual project that our government has put together on how to regulate the vaccination process. And I originally thought that Project Badger was just on military vaccinations and the anthrax vaccination alone, but it has to do with all vaccinations. And so we're putting together a FOIA request to determine just what that information is, how many of our service members and veterans have been injured by vaccines, not just the anthrax, but several others as well, as as well as other data and information that we'll be getting from the FOIA request. Wow, that that is so much work, and I applaud you for continuing to proceed in that direction. I, I would love to see a, you know, if there could potentially be a forum of discussion of veterans um, to all of you coming together to discuss your own experiences, what you've learned, especially dealing with the government, dealing with Congress, dealing with each branch of the military um, and and find a way to to bring that volume um, together and figure out where you have common ground uh, so that you're you know you're all like rowing the boat in the same direction as it go. were and not feeling yeah. like that you're competing right um, we um, we have attempted to work together and that's one of the major reasons why I chose the brand of Operation Truth, originally Gulf War Suffering Unite, because that was my whole reasoning was to get these Burn Pits 360, to get Camp Lejeune, to get all these different groups banded together and work together on this. But due to funding and the way Congress works, they really have us divided. But we Mm. are... um, now putting our voices together in a different way. And we have a podcast that um, is called the Gulf War Side Effects Podcast. Mm. And uh, that's one way that we we bring our voice to the public and um, social media forum. And then through our Operation Truth video documentary, we're putting together another way for our vaccine-injured patients to have a voice. And we'll be using that as our testimonial for our congressional hearing once we get to that point. Oh, that so is- currently, Sarah, with what's the estimate on the number of service members that received the anthrax vaccine? That's another number that we have no recollection of. There's no way to get that without a FOIA request. 
We can yeah. estimate due to the, you know, based on the numbers that we know that went to uh, a war in Iraq and Afghanistan, but everyone in the military from 97 to the early 2000s were subject to getting the anthrax vaccine. And then we have a lot of service members that get the anthrax vaccine just to go to Japan and other non-FDA regulated uh, missions as well. So it's, it's really one of those numbers that it would just be an estimate at this point, and it's definitely um, over half a million uh, service members and veterans since yeah. uh, 1990. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And that... I think that's where a lot of people's question comes in, that if we have had so many receives the anthrax vaccine and we've had so many go to Iraq and Afghanistan. Why aren't we have, why aren't we seeing the same pattern of behavior in every veteran and patient? And that is why it is so critical to have met this medical research and determine who is yeah. more susceptible. That should tell us anything is that we need this, this critical data to determine why some and not right. others. Well, and a couple of things. First of all, there's probably a lot more people who have, um, you probably hear about the most devastating injuries to the shots and to the exposure to the toxins that they um, they were around. But people who are having the quality of their life just undermined and having all these other health issues, you might not, or, you know, they might not have come to the surface or, or become related to it. Um, and the other, I, the we get that a lot. I've been in this kind of vaccine safety reform movement a long time. It's like, well, if shots were dangerous, how come everybody isn't injured by them? Well, how come everybody who smokes cigarettes doesn't get cancer? Right. It doesn't mean that can- that yeah. cigarettes don't cause cancer because 100 percent of the people who smoke don't get cancer. Right. right. It- it's yeah. a ridiculous argument to say that if, if it's bad, it'll happen to everybody. But no, that's not how it works. You're right that there is the genetic susceptibility. Um, but we know in the world of, say, pediatric vaccines, that there are the serious, immediate, obvious injuries that happen following vaccination. But what has been denied for so long is the long-term health consequences that aren't even tied in the medical system at this point to the exposure of children in infancy to so many shots. Although right now it's really quite appalling. Um, Aluminum adjuvants have been used in um, vaccine products for like 80 years, something like that. They've never been properly safety tested. We now have a host, and we've got them on the website of Informed Choice Washington, of toxicity studies for aluminum, all independent. You know, I think of the list that I have on this one page starts at 2005, and it goes all the way up to 2022. Mm -hmm. And the one that is 2022, after 80 years, after calls by the Institute of Medicine for the CDC to investigate various issues, they finally, the CDC finally did a study on exposure to aluminum adjuvants in infancy. And they looked at at an outcome or two outcomes, but the the one in particular was asthma. 
And they found a strong association between the level of aluminum adjuvants received in infancy and persistent asthma. Well, how about that? You've been telling parents for decades that you're crazy if you think your child's asthma, allergies, you know, all these autoimmune things have anything at all to do with the childhood shots, but you know, they never investigated, but now they've done the study and there it is all these years later. It's infuriating that, you know, it took that long. Um, so I guess in retrospect, you're taking just a decade to get the military to look into vaccines. Um, you, yeah. you, you had them running at record speed compared to how they usually work. <laughs> um, but we know the only reason that they're they're revealing the truth about the aluminum adjuvants is because they want to move by they I mean HHS CDC the vaccine industry is is going to attempt to make the move to all mRNA platform shots and how do you get people to move from one platform one shot to another which is still somewhat experimental, is you begin to show the flaws and the safety concerns of the existing one. That's the only reason I can think of why they finally began to investigate something that the science has been clear independently for years. And they have just been silence on it, absolutely silence on it, although media says that we're crazy for talking about it. But um, Sorry, I went down my rabbit hole on... <laughs> on the aluminum no, adjuvants. No. And <laughs> but, you know, all of us, those of you harmed by these experimental EUA sh shots, the anthrax vaccines in the military, um, military um, still being exposed to shots beyond the COVID shot, beyond the anthrax. There are other shots given only to service workers and going into pr certain zones that have not been properly safety tested. And then you've got all of the the children and adults injured by the vaccines just used and pushed as if they are safe and effective with nobody at any stage of the way doing several things, not properly safe tracking injuries for any of these, not providing any funding to ensure that anybody injured is adequately helped with their medical condition so that they can recover, not doing research into vaccine injury recovery. If you're going to mandate products, especially on the soldiers of your nation, shouldn't a certain amount of your budget be invested in good research to how to help anybody injured by what you're requiring them to get? That just seems ethical to me. Um, I had one more, but now I can't think of what it was. No, I have a brief question for Sarah. Yes. Um, do you know if uh, the anthrax vaccine actually protected against anthrax exposure? Well, that is the question of the day. When we talk about uh, the anthrax vaccine in biodefense weapon form, it is not the same as the anthrax vaccine for those uh, veterinary services in individuals that can come across the anthrax um, bacterium in other exactly. ways. So the anthrax, or the anthrax biodefense weapon was manufactured by the Russians in the 70s to be made into an airborne product. And right. so this airborne biodefense weapon is what they tried to vaccinate against 
um, when we were going into war against um, Iraq the first time because we had intel that our enemies had given our other enemies this biodefense weapon, so we needed to protect ourselves. Right. And so the vaccine that they created was never... And coming from counterintelligence, I, I hate even bringing this up because this is, is a potential risk. But right. our vaccine does not protect against airborne anthrax. And it, and won't. it never has. It, it, it can't. Because what you're doing no. with a vaccine is trying to amount an antibody response to something that acts in time scales of minutes. The only way that you could potentially make a vaccine that would protect against an airborne bacterium of that nature would be to give the, the bacterium to the patient itself. And, you know, that potential risk of that would be right. no, no involved. They would not even try that. So yeah. what they did was you know, put it into a different form. And Dr. Bruce Ivan, I believe I'm pronouncing that correct, was the lead mm -hmm. researcher on the anthrax vaccine. And um, I don't know if you recall, but in uh, a few months after the 9-11 attacks, we had the anthrax attacks in the mail. Right. And there was a huge investigation done. And Dr. Bruce Ivan was working with the FBI with uh, the investigation, giving him all the information that he had, you know, proclaiming that it, we did not have a way to make this biodefense weapon in our facility. I had no way to do so. No one I know had any way of doing so. There's information to to show and evidence to show that Dr. Bruce Ivan was speaking in code, working with someone, and the FBI then several years after they were working with him on this investigation, then proclaimed that Dr. Bruce Irving was their lead um, suspect. And as a result, uh, Dr. Bruce Irving took his life, apparently, um, uh, hmm. as an overdose of Tylenol. Right. And so one of my fellow veterans that is part of our Project Badger Committee actually spoke with Dr. Bruce Irving prior to him taking his life. And he admitted that the vaccine never worked against or protected against the um, biodefense weapon. And what they did was put every single lot in a big, huge batch and then distributed it. And that is how uh, the squalene adjuvant got into the, the batches because they were experimenting with the squalene adjuvant and trying to see if it would work. And it did not. No. And what's interesting is that there was a wave of uh, deaths, several hundred to, I think a thousand was the last count of microbiologists that died under very strange circumstances worldwide that were all connected either through U.S. AMRIT or DARPA. So there is, there's a lot more to the story than most people realize. And the bioweapons defense industry uh, in the United States um, is also deeply tied currently with what we have going on with uh, mRNA vaccines as well. But these are the connections that are very difficult to address and uncover. But again, this anthrax vaccine injury is the tip of the iceberg, to be perfectly mm -hmm. yes, honest. Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And it's all definitely connected, as, as you have proclaimed. 
Um, and that is why it's so important to get this information about this Project Badger. And if yeah. they're not willing to give it to us, then we definitely need U.S. Congress to get that information for us because um, there is a lot of data in that uh, information that we need. And do you, do you know if DEMA, if the DMED database um, uh, has that information regarding uh, uh, side effects from from uh, the anthrax vaccine? Uh, to be honest, sir, that's the first time I'm hearing of this database. So one of the things that uh, early on uh, Tom Rents' uh, law firm was able to get information from the uh, Defense Medical uh, Database, where he was able to show that the increased rate of myocarditis, stroke. Uh, spontaneous abortions, uh, the whole slew of lists showing that right during the the release of the mRNA jabs, uh, they had a, a whole database showing serious adverse side effects and increased deaths. Uh, so I'm wondering if maybe there's information in DMED that could be correlated or at least help support your case with the anthrax vaccines because it's a it's a long long standing database that's been around I think since 2002. Yeah. Um, you know, Javier and Sarah, we've got, we've got to wrap this up. We've got less than a minute to go here. Um, you're in touch with us now, Sarah. And if there's anything that we have said or that Javier has provided here that you want some links and information, if you want to continue the conversation, we would love to, co to continue to help support you in any way we can. Um, so just keep reach out to us. And I think together with all of our voices, I think the silver lining of COVID is there's a lot of people who see how big this issue is and, and we get some help here. Sarah, thank you for being on an Informed Life Radio. Oh, thank you for oh. having me. And thank you for all that you're doing for our community. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, too. Everybody, go visit her at operationtruth.net and give what you can. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHDTV. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one-world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org.
www.healthyimmunity.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm here with Javier Figueroa. And hey, um, and our first guest, Sarah Boyd, what an amazing, brave woman starting Operation TruthNet, um, pushing through her, her severe disabilities that she's experiencing from that anthrax vaccine. Absolutely. Um, you know, in, a, in our next hour here, we've got a fantastic guest who also is all about speaking truth to power and standing up. Um, and her name is Victoria Palmer. So come on, Victoria. Hi, it's so good to see you. Hi, Bernadette. Hi, Javier. Hi, Victoria. Yeah. So um, there was, when was the, the three of us were together? Once or twice on one of your marches, Victoria. So before we get there, let, let's talk about you. Um, I want you to um, tell us a little bit, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, of who you were before you started doing marches in downtown Seattle, right out in front of the Gates Foundation and Google, um, you know, and what led you to begin this activism? Yeah, if, if I could take a few minutes here. Um... I, um, the Seattle Truth Network actually goes back to around 2015. We were a small group of people meeting um, to talk about truth issues. You know, there was just, um, you know, going back to 9-11, going back to some of these other things that some people call conspiracy, but we're seeing kind of play out as becoming more of a reality these days. And, you know, we were serious people. We were genuine. We just couldn't sit still and, and um, take all this information in and not do something about it. So we were actually on meetup and we would get a group of people to the meeting room at the library or to a coffee shop nearby. And we just kind of bonded through that, you know, um, like, uh, you know, talking about, we can talk about chemtrails or 9-11 or some of these different, you know, conspiracies, but at least it brought a little bit of that feeling of, okay, you're not alone. You know, you're not crazy. Yeah. And, and Victoria, you know, the thing about conspiracies, What's that? They can be true, right? I mean, it doesn't, conspiracy doesn't mean made up. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's just that a conspiracy is a bunch of people got together to collude to do something devious, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And a lot of the things that we thought, that people thought we were crazy for are now playing out, coming out to be true. So, um, so, but I, I try not to use the word conspiracy too much just because it still has that stigma attached to it. It does, it does. We go with truth and, you know, we're not trying to, define truth for people. We're just trying to have a platform where people can talk about truth, you know, where we can have a dialogue and people can bring their own truth. And um, so that's kind of how the group uh, grew together. And we were a platform, we would host speakers. And sometimes I'd share some 
uh, as a as a presentation, or we might even just have a movie night where we'd all watch, um, you know, a movie like They Live Together. You know, one of those classics. Um, <laughs> so we, we became friends, and then, um, but we weren't terribly active until right when right when the lockdown started. So it was March of twenty twenty. Mm. Um, you know, I just felt like they were trying to isolate us. You know, we couldn't um, meet, we couldn't gather anymore. Right. It's, that was really strange to me. So the lockdown just set off all sorts of radar flags for me. Um, so I literally just got out on the street by myself. I just started by myself. I didn't feel like, I, I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I got out on the street with a sign that said, <laughs> honk if you question coronavirus. <laughs> wow. And this is in April of 2020 in the streets of Seattle. And Seattle was this, is heavy heavily believes in COVID and the, I mean the as given to us the narrative is given to us in the mainstream, and so uh, it was very interesting. I got um, I I actually got some honks and I got some people that were so happy to meet me. Oh yeah, um, you know so that I just started to build. Um, some of the other members of the group came out and joined me, and then we, I started to meet people. And I've got I I've picked up some great volunteers from those early days um, just at the park with my sign. Uh, and people that have come out with me ever since. And um, we, we built up a group and actually, so before COVID, the Seattle Truth Network was like a dozen people. Now I've got, uh, you know, hundreds of people on my email list and I've got, and we we had a meeting last night, actually, we had about 30 people there, but I mean, we have, we've had like um, all these people show up to the protests. So it's, yeah. it's a really viable group here. And um, we have just, you know, everyone's speaking their truth. Like your earlier guest, I heard her speak. You know, she's, I, I bless her heart because she is speaking her truth. She's been holding that um, for all these, you know, decades now. And um, so, you know, that's what we do is we just keep speaking truth until, you know, the world starts to listen to us. And so I think, um, so here I am speaking um, to me. So it's, to me, the truth that brings us together is is actually um, freedom from these lies, the lies that they're trying to get us to. Yeah. And so, um, so uh, you know, uh, Bernadette, I think you coined the phrase of the gift of COVID. And I will say that this two and a half years of COVID has been the most, um, the most interesting and in some ways very, very exciting years of my life. It has been, because um, it's been a challenge and I feel like I've, I've grown from it and I've, um, yeah. I have I have made a difference like like yourself you know you, you can use that phrase too because it's like okay you've you've made an impact on things and you have grown and it's given you a chance to see that some of the things you were just suspicious about before are actually operating but you know yeah. you can manage to to do something about them well yeah and and definitely you know and I usually qualify the gift of covid I I hate that anybody's been harmed by the virus or harmed by the response to the virus. And the response to the virus has been the biggest harm. Absolutely flat out biggest harm. Um, but those of us who were in the movement before, and I was relatively new, about 2016 or so, when I became very active in the vaccine safety reform, scientific integrity and public health policy, all of that sort of movement, um, so relatively new to compare to some people who've been in it for decades, but the systemic corruption of the FDA and the CDC and, and this, the, the whole medical industry, I hate that it's an industry. Um, anyway, we, the problem seemed insurmountable because they were so very, um, uh, 
they saturated society so huge and there's so much money behind them. We thought, how in the world are we ever going to break through, especially since the campaign to malign us was so effective. Oh, you're one of those crazy anti-vaxxers. Oh, where's your tinfoil hat? You think the earth is flat too, right? I hope you die of polio. You remember all the people thought we who thought wanted us to die of polio when we were marching outside the Gates <laughs> Foundation? It's like, I, I'm trying to save you from a product and you wish death upon me from polio? I don't understand the connection there, but... Um, so, so the gift of COVID for in that realm has been because they used the same corrupt systems and the same messaging, the monster became visible. They got so loud, it uncloaked them to the rest of the world. And everybody's going, I mean, and when you look at some of our top doctors like Peter McCullough and Dr. Paul Merrick and people who were pro-vaccine and, and just in the whole system, I mean, it's been earth shattering for them to see the truth of the system they were working within. You know, they probably knew a certain amount, but not, not the depths of it. In fact, um, I'm going to go ahead and find uh, something as we're talking here that I want to pull up to show you. It's just it's it it will exemplify exactly exactly how much more we have to do. But Victoria, let's talk a little bit um, about some of your marches and and why why they're so powerful. Why why do you think going to the street and visibly standing with a sign that says something provocative? Why do you think? <laughs> that helps wake people up. Yeah. Well, well, Bernadette, like you mentioned, the marches, we, um, from April of 2020 until March of 21, about a year, we were just out on the streets with our signs and we had banners on the freeway. We would do banners on the freeway like right. twice a week. And, uh, and it was from that experience that I could tell that we were actually pretty popular. We would get a lot of haunts and, and that's, that kept us going. That was so encouraging. So to answer your question, um, I think the reason it's so powerful to get out there with signs is because you do get appreciation from people. There are a lot of people that do feel the same way and it's so empowering to connect with them. You know, even if it's just a brief like eye contact as they're driving by, it's yeah. so amazing. And the, and the, the feeling um, is so different than what you see in the media. The media is going to give you the idea that everyone else except you believes in this and everyone else is getting vaccinated except you. But when you're out on the street actually talking to real people, it is it is the last forum for free speech is out on the street where like yes. no one can really mess with you. Right. Um, they can't so censor you, right? It's coming out of your mouth. They're hearing it. It's really exactly. hard to cut it off. <laughs> exactly. So even though it seems small scale, it's actually very powerful. And it was also, um, and so the reaction, we, we got reactions from so many people that were just so thankful to see us it felt like just that connection alone set that person on a different course like they didn't think they were crazy and they were somewhat protected from that going yeah. forward um so then in march of 2021 is when we started the march for freedom we had enough of a following enough of a group that we felt we could get people um together we met at the bill and melinda gates foundation there in mm -hmm. seattle and we marched up up and down mercer street and we had a group of about 350 people. Now, um, 
for Seattle, that is a huge group. So <laughs> yeah, Seattle is not big for getting a lot of numbers out on these sort of issues, you know, it's not. It's so <laughs> um, especially for, uh, you know, unless you know, there's certain some politics um, will bring a lot of people out. But if it's if you don't with, when you don't have the mainstream coverage, and yes. buy in like some of these other topics have, right? You know, we, this was really grassroots, <laughs> right? Especially if you don't have mainstream on your side. Right. Exactly. You're not going to get it. Right. We yeah. were going upstream instead of mainstream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like so we had that. 350 people at that first March. And then um, we did um, we did two other marches. But it was that's we were working into that summer of 21 when things actually kind of eased up a little bit. So that's why we put the brakes on as far as we didn't do so much during the summer. People felt like we were free, you know, because they had lightened up on the mass mandate at that time. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but we could see the vaccine mandates looming in the future. And that was yeah. when, so that was in the fall, um, October of 21. You know, that's when they, you know, they, they were announced in August and then going into October. Yeah. Um, that was when we started marching again. And um, so just to fill the, fill everyone in, we started marching um, October 30th of 2021. Now we had moved to the heart of Seattle, like right in downtown. We were at Westlake Center. And we marched through Pike Place Market, which is a heavily, there's a lot of foot traffic there. And that's why we chose, chose that area was because there's a lot of people at, at eye level that can see us. We got a lot of interaction. There's people, pedestrians and um, slow traffic that we can mm -hmm. interact with. And um, so we just all showed up. We had about, for short notice, we had about 100 people at that first march. So that was pretty good for, for, for short notice. And mm -hmm. also, this was downtown, so it involved parking downtown and it was hard to get people to come out of the suburbs and park in downtown Seattle. Yeah. But we got a lot of attention and mm -hmm. then we, I made the promise we were going to go there every Saturday until the mandates ended. And so we went there every single Saturday through the end of the year. It was um, eight times. And by that time we had gotten enough notice from the freedom community, from people around that we all we had all these groups behind us supporting us to mm -hmm. to launch that march in january that we called the big march and that brought something as many as a thousand people to westlake plaza and marching through um around pike place market they we didn't well we know we did march through pike place market on that one that was that was amazing and um and uh, bernadette you were you were there were, you were there and the informed choice guys were there with the sign. The, yeah. The informed choice was there, you but I, time, right. I was physically not there. I was from your, from your earlier ones, but I had to watch that on. Bernadette, let me share with you because you did, you did <laughs> that one. We call that the big one. And that was January 8th of um, this year, yeah. 22. And I'm going to tell you, that was like, it, it just felt like that was a turning point and that, um, you know, we got so much good feedback from um, Seattle and from the people who joined us and um, just everyone. It was a turning point. It was like um, we just felt like we could get through this. You know, we can yeah. get through this yeah. as a group. And we got uh, we got a, a fair amount of media coverage from that. Not not mainstream media, but it was alternative media, like literally all around. I heard people in even in other countries, but it was just little, you know, social media. Um, but the, my favorite quote was the East Coast, you know, in New York, where they were having a lot of demonstrations. Someone had posted something like, even Seattle's getting mad about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even Seattle. So I thought, yes, yeah. you put us on the map. 
um, because here we're known for being just so, um, you know, such a liberal state, just going along with the politics and the mainstream. Yeah. That, um, okay. So I felt like we represented Seattle. We actually put us on the map. We got, um, we woke us up. And there you so go. Then we, you know, the mandates were, did start to lift after that. You know, we saw a lot of the um, federal uh, vaccine mandates, you know, back off and lift. We, what, um, we saw the, um, and then ultimately the mass mandate in Washington state more or less ended in March. So they announced that. So um, we actually haven't marched. We, we did our other March in March 26. Uh, um, and that was a great follow-up. But mm -hmm. then since then we, we haven't marched there. It's felt a lot more free here. What, but what they've done is they've shifted, you know, obviously they've shifted their game to isolate certain populations like the, the state right. employees that are still being forced to um, vaccinate. And yeah. So it's simmering here. We know that. Um, it's simmering. There, there's a little bit of breath, a little bit of back off, and then yeah. it will come forward. And um, a couple of things. First of all, thank you for continuing to stay on the mask issue. Because right. until we get some scientific integrity on mask use policies, they it is such a, we said from day one, they're not from day, actually, I, I back that up. I didn't say from day one. When they first started talking about masking, I had a couple of days where I was in um, email conversations with all my medical freedom peeps and we're all going, what's going on here? Do we support this or don't we? We kind of knew that 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 vax the masks had already scientifically been proven not to spread the flu. Right. But what we're thinking is you mean stop the spread. It wouldn't stop the spread of the flu. Right. So what we we were wondering would if people just donned a mask, it's not a vaccine, would it be a physical tool we could use that would give us the ability to say no to shots? You know, early date, like that first week, we were trying to figure out what does all this mean? Um, you know, because we, 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 we wanted to be helpful and we were still not quite sure what was going on with this SARS-CoV-2 thing. I don't even think they had given it that name yet. Um, but then very quickly, we began to see what was going to happen. And within the week, we were like, it's a placeholder. Exactly. It's systematically a placeholder. Yeah. They're going to lay an entire system. You can't get on a plane, a train, a bus. You can't go to school. You can't go in a restaurant. And then they're going to replace the masks with a shot, which they sort of did for a little while. Unfortunately, it quickly turned out that the shots don't stop the spread of infection. So they had to bring the mask back even for the vaccinated. And that was really confusing. Um, yeah. So although th there was this window, you guys, because I never I only wore a mask once in an ER setting um, when they said they were going to remove me if I didn't put it on. And I wore about five minutes to visit a good friend. Um, but other than that, I haven't worn one and I wouldn't wear one. So when I'd be walking proudly in stores, the only unmasked person. Well, for a while there, all the vaccinated were unmasked. And then I thought, I don't want anybody to think I've got the vaccine. Because <laughs> do I put on a mask so that they, you know, I don't know what, yeah. you know, I could have really I would do that too. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I didn't know. I just refused to put that thing on. Um, so anyway, um, so thank you for staying on that. And I do believe in Form Choice Washington and other organizations. We really need to get integrity, scientific integrity in this policy because Department of Health all over this country continue to say they reserve the right to bring back the mask. And we don't want it. More harm than good. No good at all, actually. And so we might need you out there with the signs again. 
to really protest. But we have to figure out how to have dialogue. Now, Javier and Victoria, you're two, two of the smartest people I know. Um, we got to figure out how do we get public health entities to engage in actual dialogue, a scientific, public scientific debate about the risks and benefits of masks in different situations with different materials on different people, different ages and all that, and try to come to some sort of common sense understanding so that we don't bring back the harm. But I don't know how to get dialogue when they only allow you to have three minutes of public comment and they don't respond to anything you say. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I, I like your idea of the big debate of actually have this out in the public where people can actually speak or at least watch an actual debate on this. And that has not happened. There has been no, no forum. It, it's it's no. just going back and forth with YouTube videos or news media pieces, and there has been no dialogue. Um, no, it's been all social media and other media arguing at a distance. Yeah. Public three minutes of public comment where they don't respond, us sending them mountains of studies, which they don't respond to. Yeah. But, you know, Victoria, before COVID, this is how they dealt with things that they knew. Anytime you get silence, in the refusal to debate, they know that we have enough information that they would likely lose the debate. So that's yeah. that's that. But so, and they have a lot of practice in ignoring, like the CDC's ignored the dangers of aluminum adjuvants until just this year. Yeah. And well, they've the got other, an ulterior motive. Go ahead. The other option is, so for example, the debate's not, is never gonna happen because they're past masters of running away from debates and they know they don't have the science on their side. The other thing to do is that because these are public officials that are appointed, they have a bond. That is, they have a bond to actually serve. Uh, there's money put up by the state, held in bond uh, as public officials. You go after their bond saying, you've broken your, your, your oath and your, um, your role as an officer. Uh, because uh, again, you're not addressing the issues uh, associated with your with your position. So it's basically uh, the use of common law to write up an affidavit saying that you're 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 violated my right as a citizen by imposing these restrictions, and I'm charging you with not upholding your uh, your oath uh, or your the, the the rule of law that you have to abide by by imposing yes. this mandate because you have absolutely zero. Um, um, legal right to impose that. Yeah. And, and I love that approach. And I know that throughout across the nation, a lot of people are in the process of using this approach. It's my understanding that in fact, in Washington here, now forgive me, I wish Bob run. Hey, Bob, if you're listening, call into the show and give us the details, but down in Clark County, um, where, uh, Bob Runnels is, there were like tens of thousands of affidavits that were, well, there was something given to his, no, back up. This was another group. Who was the group? Victoria, do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking the off the room. top of my head. The tea, tea room. room. Thank you. Thank you. That's what it was. I was confusing my two big actions that happened. There was one that served the county, but there was this one. It was tens of thousands of individual affidavits that were served yeah. on on legislators and key officials having to do with their responsibility for COVID. But it's my understanding the next step has not yet been taken, the legal step of holding them accountable. 
Yeah. And it's not so much the legislators, it's the public health officials that you have to go after because Mm. they're the ones that are implementing at the local level. If the state says you have to do this, the public health officials are not legally obligated. They are responsible to the county that they serve to say, I do not agree with this because based on my experience and opinion as a public health official, these are going to do more damage than good and I'm not going to enforce them. So Javier, are you saying that all, so one of the, my key things that I want to help get into um, public health is checks and balances. Are you yeah. saying that it's sort of already in there, but it's not being respected, the checks and balances between the different layers of public That's health? That's my understanding. That is my understanding. Each okay. county has its own public health official, Right. In Washington, not in Washington. they don't in all in Tennessee. I don't have a local county health. But board. again, it's every county in Washington is, has its own public health official, and again, they are the ones that are actually going to say we need to implement this program. Yeah, you have a Department of Health for 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 Washington State that oversees all counties, but at the same time, the public health official health official at the county level can basically say. You know what? No, I, I don't. This is a bad idea for our county. We're not going to implement it. Yeah. You have every right, duty, and obligation to do that. And again, if they're there and they're imposing these uh, these uh, uh, mandates or these ridiculous, unscientifically uh, backed uh, um, procedures, processes, and tools, uh, they're the ones responsible. Don't go after the legislators. After the people that are actually pushing this and saying, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna find you for doing that." Remember, the labor and industry and the Department of Health, uh, counties that were pushing these funds. Yeah, your I don't know if it was me or you, but your audio just went a little funky there, um, Javier. So hopefully it will clear up. Um, yeah, so hopefully some of these in progress common law approaches will go to that next phase of holding people accountable. And so Victoria, can you tell us what you know about this? Well, you know, I have, I've never participated in the affidavit processes. Um, I encourage people to me, it's an important part of, you know, people speaking out. We do need to be um, telling people, telling our legislators and other bodies how, um, how we feel, but it hasn't been something that I participated in. Okay. Um, and I and I I have I have yet to see um, a change in that regard, and I, I believe it's because yeah. these people. It seems like um, these um, power, you know, these people in authority have already they they've already taken a position. I haven't seen them budge much. I, you know, really I haven't at seen all. them budge either. And you know, honestly, I so this yeah. is giving away, and I apologize for my bad memory. I've actually yeah. had on the show some of the people doing these affidavit process. Um, but I, I'm, I'm doing so many things. I'm not retaining any details. So I really apologize. It's okay. No, Bernadette, well, no, you, no, you're totally yeah. fine. Um, but I and, apologize and to the people doing them because they say, Bernadette, you had me on your show. And you don't remember. Yeah. And, I, and I don't. So <laughs> I apologize. No worries. Um, but let's, so. let's bring it back around to what has been working, which is actually um, Bernadette and your, your group informed choice. You guys have been, vigilant over, you know, what they're doing in Olympia, what, um, you know, what the proposals are. And then it's like rallying the troops as needed to stay yeah. vigilant because they do, they do seem to budge, you know, like they, they can only go so far when the public opinion gets, um, 
starts yeah. to see what they're doing. So that's, yeah. I see that um, you guys have been very effective there. Um, what my group has been doing, we've been literally, I call myself boots on the ground because we've literally been boots on the ground. We've been out in the streets of Seattle um, influencing public opinion. And so I feel like what, what we've done um, has been to keep it from going, to keep this agenda from getting all the way to the bottom, from from convincing every, you know, person that they're um, that they either have to believe this or that they'll be completely isolated. I mm -hmm. think we kept it from taking hold 100% in Seattle. Um, I know I've kept some people from not from moving away <laughs> from <Yeah>. Seattle. <laughs> you gave them hope. I a few people here. <laughs> so you know, one of the most valuable things that you have given the gift to Seattle is people don't feel alone. And, you know, with the isolation and the fear, 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 fear is being used for everything. Oh, I want to just say real quick that the same thing about refusing to debate, they have not allowed debate on isolation, no debate on lockdowns, no debate on any of this in a public level. It was just done to us. Yeah. And um, any challenging opinion was not. And I just love the 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 Fauci emails now that are coming out that we're getting and some of them unredacted where we're finding out they were actively fighting really highly respectable people coming forward saying I like the great Barrington um, declaration dot um, individuals who brought that. And oh, yeah. so persistence, Victoria, persistence is stay the course, stay loud. You don't always see right away that your persistence and your visibility and your voice is making a difference, but it is. And I get the same way, you know, when I'd be out there, somebody would drive by and you just get the look of thank you on somebody's face. It might be followed up by a car with the middle finger very well represented, but the, but, you know, you just whatever you just say, we'll pray for you. Um, the individuals who give you the thank you. And I'm so glad you're here and you guys are so brave and whatever you get. But then it was so cool with doing marches with you, um, Victoria, because sometimes people would just see us and they'd go park the car and join us. Yes. It's like, yeah. I'm not alone. You know, and right. how do, you know, it was just it's so exciting to not be alone. That's one of the worst things that you can feel like how you feel about nobody else agrees with. And then to be driving down interstate five and look up and see this giant banner that says COVID-19 vaccines um, are exempt from liability and people up there waving, we had, we would do that. And then people would pull over, they'd find a place and they'd find entrance to that freeway overpass and come find us and say, who are you? We love you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so go ahead. Oh, Bernadette, we should be counting the things where we have succeeded rather than the mm -hmm. things that were that we where we didn't or that right. we're afraid of happening. I mean, we we really did. Um, I, I do believe that the mass mandates ended earlier um, than they would have. I believe, you know, that you guys helped keep off the school vaccine mandates, you know, all, all sorts of things. A lot of employees yeah. um, did lose their jobs, but in a lot of cases they kept them. So yeah. uh, we have been highly successful. The people, it's going to require top down and bottom up. There you go. There you right? go. And, and the awareness, the education, everybody you talk to, everybody who sees you stay peaceful, but stay loud. I loved Victoria and I and others picketed outside, protested outside Seattle Children's Hospital 
you know, that was powerful. And I tell you, it was a majority, right? Majority of individuals driving into the hospital and coming out who said, thank you, who gave us a thumbs up, who cheered and honked. There were some people who were angry, thought that we were jeopardizing children's lives, but the vast majority agreed with us. Um, And that's where they were doing the studies on the infants with the COVID shots. It was, it's, it's so appalling, but there we were, we did that a couple of times. Um, okay. So I want you the, what's that, that French thing, that piece de resistance anyway, one of your, one of your crowning glories, tell us about the big boo. Fauci? Yes. Oh, tell us what you did. Okay. Okay. Well, like I said, we haven't been marching since March, but we've been getting out on some fun, um, adventures like that. Uh, so we, and, and this, and actually it's at our meetings. We're having meetings every two weeks in Seattle. And that's where some of these ideas pop up. And um, so someone was at our meeting and he was like, hey, Fauci's gonna be um, in Seattle. We gotta, we gotta go protest him. So we did some research and it turned out he was gonna be throwing out the first pitch at the Mariners game. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was short notice. So we couldn't get much of a crew out but we actually managed to get about 20 of us out there. And I had a big sign that said, that said boo for Fauci and oh <laughs> actually I've got a flyer right here we were passing out these flyers cool for Fauci and um so we were passing out these flyers and it was actually a great venue to get um to get in front of eyes because there were thousands of people queued up outside this the the park and before they would let them come in so virtually everyone in that stadium 40,000 people virtually everyone would have seen us oh yeah and so and and but you know Bernadette I'll give you the inside story because we actually that was actually the toughest audience we've ever seen they were mean they oh, were no. they were telling us all sorts of things like Fauci saved lives or um or like um you're stupid you know just we got called so many names I actually didn't think it was going to work but um, at a but at seven oh five seven oh two something like that when the first pitch was gonna be I was out in the back and I was like I could hear the booing from outside yeah. so so I was I was like hey that's it and we had one guy inside and I texted him and said hey did did Fauci just throw out the first pitch yeah. and Travis texts me back and he's like yeah he did that was that was us he was booing. And, and so the, actually part of the lesson, it's a great lesson that even though, you know, the, the response you're getting is like negative and people aren't agreeing with you, you don't, you might not think it's working, but you're getting in front of enough people yeah. and they're the, they're the silent ones, you know, they're the quiet ones, yeah. but they, they feel empowered to go in there and actually just boo. Mm-hmm. And then once they get it started, it spreads. And it spreads. It's lovely. So that that was a great yeah. victory. And, and it was, it was the next week that Fauci announced he was going to retire you know, earlier. Than yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What's Who interesting about- might've been a little, you know, uh, well, it, it was, again, it was said that, Oh, Fauci's getting booed even in Seattle. That's probably yeah. And I and I've got a clip here. I'm sharing it, but it's not showing up on the screen. So if it ends up, um, maybe you say view YouTube. Is that is that showing up yet? Anybody? Yeah, there it is. There we go. Okay, let me see if I can get this to to play for us. This um, let me turn the sound on and get this so we can hear it. 
think they like him. No, I don't think so. That clip from our friend Ari Hoffman. He was at the Mariners-Yankees game last night in Seattle. Yes, Seattle. That's where Dr. Fauci was getting booed. He received some sort of award there as well. And threw out the first pitch, kind of an EFIS pitch. Yeah. Not a great performance from Dr. <laughs> Fauci. And again, this was in Seattle, a liberal city that probably has had enough of the pandemic, even then. Yeah, and he's done this before. He likes to be a... Okay, that's enough of that. So we'll, yeah. we'll stop that. But I just wanted to get that boo. Um, I, I probably, I don't know where the rest of the clip goes. So I went ahead and stopped it there. But <laughs> you made news, Max. You made the news. <laughs> Fauci got in some top headlines in, in mainstream media. Yeah. Picked it up. Yeah, Bernadette. So that... It goes to show that just a small group of us, we can have an impact. You, you know? can make an have an impact. And and just for people to know that what is happening, it not everybody agrees with. Yeah. You know, it's just so important. This is what freedom is all about, this peaceful revolution. We have to stand up and be brave. And um, so, and, uh, Javier, I'm sorry I, I interrupted you. You had a point. What was it? So one was one of the reasons that, you know, it's, the people that have the lowest amount of information that have the greatest amount of uh, of uh, uh, of confidence are mm. going to be the ones that are going to be in your face and being the meanest and are going to be the loudest. And the vast majority of the fact that you actually got people to boo Fauci at a Seattle Mariners game <laughs> and it could actually be heard really says that people are fed up and they understand that, yeah, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. This is all misinformation on the part of the CDC. And again, I'll say it loud and I'll say it proud. The CDC has been lying to us. The FDA has been lying to us. They have been lying to us. Yeah. And last point, uh, Ted Fogarty has been texting me and he, uh, he had worked with the uh, legislators in, in North Dakota to bat, to pass a ban on mask mandates that was vetoed by the governor, but overturned in debate in the Senate. Oh, fantastic. Wow. So, North Dakota. I got to go. I got to go copy their bill and see if we can get that here in Tennessee. Yeah, and I'll, so, yeah. Well, that's a great segue onto um, what we're currently doing because we are, awesome. we're going to be, yeah, we're going to start tackling the uh, healthcare mask mandate because in Washington state, they lifted the the general mask mandate, but they have been enforcing this, um, mass mandate in healthcare settings pretty fiercely here. And so I'm just, I'm just getting too many people in my group that are being um, either treated poorly or even, even um, refused service actually for not wearing a mask. And even, you know, um, and so here's the thing, the department of health mass mandate as it stands has the same exemption from yeah. wearing a mask. There is no reason for these healthcare providers to be enforcing this. So that and that, um, Bernadette, that point right there is where we have been effective in making inroads back when the mass mandate was general. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had some effect in healthcare settings. We actually, um, you know, our people are about 50% successful. It depends on where you go. But the larger uh, providers and the more corporate providers are not giving exemptions at all. Um, so that is going to be our target because it's actually a weakness. They they're mm -hmm. going beyond the um, they're going beyond above and beyond the Department of Health mass mandate, and mm -hmm. they so th and I'll tell you, uh, Bernadette, I have asked them to provide us with their written policy. You know, mm -hmm. you have a written policy that says no exemptions, and they don't. They 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 will not get back to me. 
So, and specifically, I'll tell you specifically, I'm talking about the University of Washington. Who, oh yeah. Who is such a huge player in um, the healthcare in the Seattle area. They own pretty much all the hospitals. Well, not yeah. all the hospitals, I'd say. A good portion of them. Four or five hospitals in the area. And they have basically all of the, you know, they have many clinics, a network of clinics. And specifically, here's what I'm running into. Um, there's a lot of people in my group that are in the low income bracket. Mm -hmm. And so the low income insurance will cover only for University of Washington providers. Um, so it's almost a monopoly that they have. So we are we are talking about people who have been putting off treatment during um, well, if, and for a year. Um, it, you know, it's like even if it's elective, it becomes crucial at some point. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's so appalling because the masks are or are being used still under emergency use authorization. Informed consent must still happen. Exemptions are declared by every governor who did a mask mandate or others. I mean, you still should, you know, you qualify medical religious and the outright just absolute refusal. I was in a PCC the day they started the mask mandate <laughs> and I'm in there shopping away and the manager comes up to me and he says, ma'am, you're going to have to put on a mask. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and he says, oh, it's, it's the rule now. And I said, I said, no, um, I'm, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask um, medically. I, I, I can't wear one and it violates my beliefs. I just know I'm not going to put on a yeah. mask. And he says, well, if you don't put one on, you can have to leave. And I said, well, I know that the governor's mask mandate included exemptions. You know, um, he says, well, we don't we don't allow any exemptions. And I, right there. How is that possible that a business can ignore you know, I mean, so they've got people in wheelchairs on oxygen. You know how they're, they, you know, sometimes they're shopping and they've got their oxygen and they, and they have to wear a mask. These people who it already have to I mean, and that's detrimental to their health. And yeah, absolutely shocking. So um, w this mask issue is not going away and we have to bring it back. I wanted to share with you. Uh, Informed Choice Washington now has a Substack page and the most recent news and views that we put out there, it's informedchoicewa.substack.com. Um, let's see, it's uh, this one, the ice weight. So I was showing in here, thanks to you to Gerald uh, Broad, who, let me just get rid of that, who writes these newsletters. And then, you know, sometimes I add a little bit to the great work that he has done here. And he pointed out that we've got this silencing of Washington doctors and nurses that all states are going through and it's coming from the Federation of Medical. I've got it down there. I'll read it, the proper name of it. But here we've got the Nursing Care Quality Assurance Commission. And this was back in September of 2021. It's talking about misinformation, um, which, of course, they don't properly define, but how you can lose your license um, in regards to it. But then I'm going to go down here and look at the one from the Washington Medical Commission at about the same time. Um, and if I'm remembering right, this is what, here we go. And these are the people who license medical doctors. The WMC. The WMC will scrutinize any complaints received about practitioners granting exemptions 
to vaccination or masks that are not based on in established science or verifiable fact. I mean, that absolute threat that, you know, we're not going to trust you. You know, you ask yourself, is it Department of Health employee? You know, why are people so not wanting this document? No. Yeah, I've not seen it. Okay. Yeah. And then um, a practitioner who grants a mask or other exemption without conducting an appropriate prior exam and without finding of a legitimate medical reason supporting such an exemption within the standard of care, I hate that term, may be subjecting their license to disciplinary action. The WMC bases masking and vaccination safety on expert recommendations from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Washington State Department of Health. And then the WMC relies on the US uh, FDA approval of medications to treat COVID-19 to be the standard of care. While not an exhaustive list, the public and practitioners should take note that ivermectin is not FDA approved uh, for preventing um, COVID-19 and hydroxychloroquine isn't either. Um, so, So here we have these threats about masking and exemptions it's it's just you know no words right well <laughs> if bernadette that letter would explain the behavior we've seen from these yes. doctors um yes. but that was a year ago and now and now here's what we're looking at you know the state of emergency ended in washington state um you know the mass mandate obviously ended but it, you know it's still technically through the department of health but mm-hmm. we also have had um a lot of the other states you know, I've I've been looking at the other states in um, the United States, and largely most of them have dropped even healthcare settings when the CDC um, changed their policy. Yeah. Um, so there is a momentum toward dropping these healthcare mask mandates. So what but, we're going to be doing, what we want to do, is just yeah. kind of stir this up and bring some attention to it. It needs to. There needs to be some attention. No one's questioning this. Right, and there needs to be. I love. Thank you, Dr. Ted Fogarty, for listening and for telling us that you actually got this mask ban. Um, what we need is like this permanent, because the science <laughs> is so overwhelmingly clear of the harms. Any mask use should be among the general public. Um, and even in healthcare settings, unless you're doing surgery or things where there is really proven science, and then it's only for droplet protection, your droplets not getting into the body cavity of somebody you're operating on. And then the mask has to be changed every like 20 minutes because if it gets damp, it's no longer protecting. If you touch it, it has to be changed and you have to wash your hands. Um, you know, those sort of things. But we need scientific integrity and public health policy in regards to masking. And so if we're going to have to go to our legislatures to get it done, otherwise we're going to be living with the tyranny of masking. And I just feel so sorry for the scared people out there, you know? Um, Bernadette, you're, you're better at the legislator legislative side. I'll definitely support whatever you Whatever you can. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll have to with. get her done in, in some other states, maybe like Tennessee. Yeah. Or we get Washington. We're a bit further. Yeah. But, you know, even even the people are sort of going with things that don't stand with us on it. Surely they are sick of wearing well, masks. What I can help with is, and what we can do is bring the public attention to this. Yes. Just cause, um, because, okay, because Bernadette, if I can take a minute here, yeah. uh, you mentioned PCC, and PCC is, uh, you know, our favorite uh, natural health food store here in Seattle. 
And um, we targeted them with our demonstrations back in yes. May of 2021, April and May. And uh, because they actually were, you know, they have about 10 locations in the area. Yeah. And they were, for lack of a better term, they were some of the worst mask Nazis in the area. Yeah. Um, enforcing the masks, no um, no exemptions, nothing. And, um, and we have so many people in our community that are into natural health. Of course, we'd want to shop there. So um, we did demonstrations at eight of their locations and it was, it literally right then was when the CDC changed their policy to allow people without, with immunizations to, you know, with the vaccine to um, not wear masks. And so they did change their policy. So we actually, um, we actually do take credit for PCC backing off on their policy. And I'll say why, because many other similar stores in, um, you know, in the area did not change their policy and they kept up the, the mask enforcement. So, and to this day, PCC has not harassed anyone that I know of um, for not wearing a mask. So oh, we're hopeful, we're, hope, we're hopeful that, um, that they've stayed that way and that we can have that kind of an impact with the healthcare mask mandate. Nice. That, that's great. And you know, Victoria, we've been having so much fun talking about this. You get into the streets, there is another organization you're with. So, if you want to join the March and Conversation at Seattle Truth Network, yeah. but you've got this other wonderful organization that you're with. Are you one of the founders of the Washington Civil Rights Council? Yeah, the Washington okay. Civil Rights Council. Yeah, um, so, I am one of the, the founding members. Um, so tell us about this, because this is exciting what you're doing here. Yeah, they're they're very crucial, especially people in your audience. We are, we're a group of, um, just citizens that were concerned and we got together to basically support people who are facing mandates. And we came up with some legal documents to help people who were facing the workplace mandates or school mandates. Um, they were highly effective there too. And uh, we saved thousands of people from losing their jobs. Um, and for those that we couldn't, we've helped get them public attention. We've helped um, speak out for them or mm -hmm. get them the attention they need. And um, so we're we're still very active. Definitely go to the website here and um, yeah. So it's wcrc.com. Dot us. Yeah. Dot us. That was, that was all that was available. Um, okay. But um, definitely go there. Connect for either of these. You, I, I really do want to say um, that people should connect with me. I like to um, hear from people. Uh, you can connect with me through the Seattle Truth Network website. Is better. And okay. they can just email me at victoria at seattletruthnetwork.com um, okay. and ask and ask me to get onto the newsletter because getting my email newsletter is still the best way to connect, especially if you're in Western Washington and would like to, to join us at, a, at um, demonstrations and activities. That's where I publish so that it's kind of, it's, um, you know, it's, I, I like to keep it off of social media, you know. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and Contact me. Um, what sort of methods are you using to help people at the at the Washington Civil Rights Council? How do you help people? Mostly with um, legal documents that they can use. Those have been highly effective, but sometimes we will actually just um, call or write a letter on someone's behalf. And you'd be surprised how effective that can be. You know, we're just citizens ourselves. We don't have um, a, a law degree. But when you, um, just the idea that someone else has got your back and thinks it's wrong what's happening to them it makes a big difference so i've helped people who were being harassed about masks i've helped at a business um at a few um 
you know, as customers and sometimes successful as employees as well. Well, um, uh, healthcare settings I've had some success with. So we'll just call for you, um, you know, because we, do, we just we just can't sit by and not do something. No. Yeah. Good for you. That That's so exciting. Now, this must be a full-time job for you now, what you're doing, or it's, do you have a... <laughs> you know, I was fortunate enough to have family support so that I have not had to work during COVID. Um, mm. And uh, so it has been a full-time job. And just right now, I'm starting to do... I'm, I've had some time, actually, during the summer. So I'm starting to um, do my own, like, organizing business. And so I'm starting a list um, to help people connect. And I'm just about ready to launch the website. And it's going to be vickyslist.com. And it's going to be just like a Craigslist for the community. So oh anyone, anyone that's listening can go there and um, sign up. What I'm still beta testing the website. So feel okay. free to. <laughs> I love this. We need, it. we need it. We need to help people connect. That's how we're going to get through this. So It's going to help people connect with the businesses that they can use their dollars to support the world they want to, to be. Yeah. Shop at the right places, hire the the, yeah. the people that that support um, thing. Put your money, you know, vote with so your So many people found themselves either living somewhere or with a job that was all of a sudden forcing them to wear a mask or get vaccinated. So if we can help people connect with people that are not going to do that. That's tremendous going forward. It, it puts, it makes us stronger. And like you said, we're not going to be living in fear that we're not alone. Yeah. yeah. I love this. It's one more layer of us staying united and yeah. helping each other out. No, we're not alone. We're really building a, a, a parallel society with an ethical health network an ethical medicine um, ethical business. And, you know, we can make a huge difference. He's given us the less than one minute now. Um, okay. so one more time, tell, uh, listeners today how to best get a hold of you. Uh, Victoria at seattletruthnetwork.com is the best way The email. And let me take a minute just to thank you, Bernadette, for all your work and Javier for all your work. You guys are awesome and amazing. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Well, it, it's very gratifying as we're beginning to see every, the momentum grow and build. Um, so uh, here we go. We got the music. So okay. Dr. X, always a pleasure. Victoria, I love you. Big hug. Um, until next time, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Have a great weekend. See you next week. I know. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PJI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. 
To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.